Open up our Bibles tonight to Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. There's a repeated pattern. It might help you to know this. There's a repeated pattern throughout the book of Revelation. It goes something like this. Judgment of God and then a focus on characters in the book of Revelation. And then it goes back to judgment of God and then a focus on characters in the book of Revelation. And it will do it a third time. Judgments of God and then a focus on characters in the book of Revelation. We saw this several weeks ago when we saw the breaking of the seal judgments. Jesus had the seal, the scroll that was sealed up with seven seals. And as he broke each one of those judgments of God came to the earth. After the sixth seal was broken, we kind of took our breath for a moment as we looked at some characters. We saw the characters of the souls of people under the altar. We talked about that. We talked about the characters who were saved out of the tribulation and are now gathered around the throne of God from every tongue and tribe and nation. We saw the same thing. Last week we were uh, seeing the seven trumpet judgments last week. And when you get through the sixth trumpet, it transitions to a more focused look at some of the characters involved. And that's where we're going to be tonight in Revelation chapter 10. We are in that place. So in Revelation chapter 10, we want to take a look at just one character. And I would call this character the character of the judgment of God. It's the judgment of God that's in view in Revelation chapter 10. In chapter 10, God's going to give John a brief vision of the judgment of God and what that looks like. So let's look at the text together. Revelation 10.1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand. I happen to believe that's the same scroll that Jesus had taken from the Father that was sealed with those seven seals. Other people think that that may be something else. That's no big deal, I don't think, either way. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion when he called out the seven thunders. Sounded. Now let's pause right there. And first, I want you to see the first thing that we see here about the judgment of God. Number one, the judgment of God is unstoppable. It is unstoppable. John sees this angelic being that is clothed in the majesty of God. Some people think that this is actually Jesus. Again, that's not an argument really that I think is worth having. I happen to think that it is an angel, but this angel is dripping with the majesty of Jesus. This angel is dripping with the authority of God. All of the ways that John describes this angel here are emblematic of the judgment of God. He's wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, his face like the sun, legs like pillars of fire. This angel is clothed with the authority of God. This colossus of an angel is standing here before us in Revelation chapter 10 with one foot on the land and one foot on the sea. Look at verse 3. And called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And that sounds kind of strange to hear the seven thunders sounded, unless you're familiar with Psalm 29. Psalm 29 is known by some people as the Psalm of the seven thunders. 
the Psalm of the Seven Thunders. The reason for that is God's voice thunders, in a sense, seven times in Psalm 29. Let me show you this. Psalm 29 pictures for us Yahweh, the Lord, as the King of Judgment, whose judgment is unstoppable. That's exactly what Revelation chapter 10 is picturing for us as well, that Yahweh is the King of Judgment. And his judgment is unstoppable. Look at Psalm 29. Honor the Lord, you heavenly beings. Honor the Lord for his glory and strength. Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice. You may want to underline when you see the word voice. The voice of the Lord echoes above the sea. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty sea. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord splits the mighty cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon's mountains skip like a calf. He makes Mount Hermon leap like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with bolts of lightning. The voice of the Lord makes the barren wilderness quake. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists mighty oaks and strips the forest bare. In His temple, everyone shouts glory. The Lord rules over the floodwaters. The Lord reigns as King forever. Psalm 29 is showing us that Yahweh is the king of judgment and his judgment is unstoppable. Exactly what Revelation 10 is showing us. Yahweh is the king of judgment and his judgment is unstoppable. Those seven thunders described by King David in Psalm 29 there are describing how that region of the world would be devastated at the judgment of God. But that devastation doesn't even compare to the global devastation that is coming when the seven thunders of the voice of God thunder forth in these seven years called tribulation. So the first thing that we see about God's judgment in chapter 10 is that it is unstoppable. Nobody can stand against God's judgment. Nobody can argue with God's judgment. There is no court of appeals that you can go to to argue the judgment of God. There is no arguing with God's decision. You cannot intimidate God. Think about that. When you are all powerful, you cannot be threatened. Nobody can say you are wrong because you're perfect. Nobody can say you're errant because you aren't. Nobody can say it is not your right to judge because it is his right to judge. And his judgment is unstoppable. The second thing that Revelation 10 shows us about the judgment of God, not only is it unstoppable, but number two, it's global. It's global. Verse 2 says that this great angel stands with a foot of judgment on the sea and a foot of judgment on the earth. Listen, even right now, this world is under the control of Satan. The Bible describes him as the prince of the air. But in verse 2, God is putting his foot down, one on the land and one on the earth. The fact that one foot is on the land and one foot is on the sea is emphasizing that God is judging the whole earth. His judgment is global and nobody will be able to escape. Nobody 
will be able to escape the judgment of God. The whole world will be held accountable before God. Romans 1 sounds the warning that the judgment of God is coming. Listen to these words from Paul in Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Every human being is without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and in their foolish hearts. They were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strive, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And in Revelation chapter 10, God puts His foot down. One foot on the land, one foot on the sea. His judgment has come and it is unstoppable and it is global. The third thing we see about the judgment of God in Revelation chapter 10, it's mysterious. It's mysterious. Verse 4 says, And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Now, this whole book started with God telling John, Write this down. John's been doing that. Here he hears the seven thunders thunder and he's about to write down what he heard them say. And then he hears this voice that says, no, don't write those messages down. Seal it up. What, what did they say? We don't know. We can speculate. That really wouldn't do us any good. We don't know. God didn't want us to know. John knew, he heard it, but he wasn't allowed to share it with us. It's a mystery to us. That's how God wants it to be. So his judgment 
is unstoppable. It's global. And even with everything that we know about his judgment, there's still some of it that's a mystery. It's mysterious. The fourth truth about the judgment of God from Revelation chapter 10. In Revelation chapter 10, the judgment of God has arrived. It has arrived. When we get to this place in the book of Revelation, God's judgment is no longer being held back. Verse 5 says, And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be, watch this, no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Now we read what was said with the blasting of that seventh trumpet last week. Do you remember that? It said there of Jesus who was and who is. Remember what we said wasn't there? Who is to come. Everywhere else in Revelation prior to that, it said who was and is and is to come. But after that seventh blast of that, that trumpet, the seventh trumpet is sounded, it just says who was and is. He's not to come anymore. He will have come at that point. And he will have poured out and begun pouring out his wrath rapidly then through those bold judgments we'll see later in the book on the earth. And here in Revelation 10, this angel raises his right hand as if he's in a court of law, testifying as a witness. And in a sense, he really is in a court of law. He's standing before the king of judgment. And this angel vows before God that now this judgment of God is no longer delayed. It has come. It has arrived. Revelation chapter 10 shows us God's judgment. It's unstoppable. It's global. It's mysterious. It has arrived. And fifth and finally, the judgment of God is bittersweet. It's bittersweet. Look at verse 8. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, You must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. John takes in this scroll which encompasses God's plan for the end of this world. God's plan to usher in a new heaven and a new earth. And in his mouth, it's sweet as it should be. When Jesus brings this world with all of its brokenness to an end and he ushers in a new heaven and a new earth, what a sweet thought that is. What a sweet taste that is in our mouths. We want Jesus 
to come back. That's going to be sweet. We want Him to be glorified. We want there to be no more separation between us and Jesus. We want Satan to be brought to an end. We want sin to be brought to an end. We want death to die and be no more. All of that is sweet. But the more we digest the truth of what is to come, the deeper that goes into our souls, we find that sweet truth to also at the same time be very bitter. It's bitter because for those who do not believe the truth about Jesus, it means the wrath of God is coming. The judgment of God. Vengeance and hell. For those who are saved, our eternity is going to be sweet, to say the least. For for those who reject Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, their eternity will be one of suffering, to say the least. The angel tells John in that last verse, I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples, and nations, and languages, and kings. I think that goes for us too tonight. While there's still time, you and I need to be prophesying to the peoples, to the nations, to every language, and even to kings, to anybody that we can talk to about the truth of Jesus. When I say prophesy, I don't mean in the sense of I have a word from God for you. I don't mean prophesy in the sense of foretelling the future. I mean prophesying in the sense of forthtelling what the word of God has already revealed, what the word of God has already spoken. Sharing the truth of God's word with our world. This is what this angel says to John, but I think that's the application for me and for you from Revelation chapter 10. We are called by Jesus to go to the world with the truth of God. To tell the world that God has made a way for you to escape His wrath and His judgment. God sent His own Son, Jesus, into the world, not to condemn it, but to save it. Jesus at the cross endured the wrath of God against your sin and my sin and drank down every drop of the wrath of God that you might be saved from God's wrath against your sin. Our message to the world has got to be, listen, I'm not judging you, but I'm telling you God is going to judge you. But you can stand before Him clean. You can stand before Him righteous. And you can stand before Him forgiven if you'll turn from yourself and turn from your sin and put all of your faith in His Son Jesus and what He accomplished at the cross of Calvary in your place. Trust in Jesus to take your sin away, to reconcile you to God, to forgive you of all your sins. Listen, Grace Life, I believe that's why we're still here. Because there's still so many people that need to hear. So many people that need to hear the good news. There is a way of escape.
There's a way to be forgiven. There's a way to be saved. And it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that as we read a text like Psalm 29 and Revelation 10 that show us how great and strong and unstoppable your judgment is. We stand here robed in the righteousness of Jesus, aware that all of that strong, unstoppable wrath was already put on Jesus at the cross. We, as children of God, we don't have to be afraid of your wrath because, Jesus, you have already drank down every drop of the wrath of God that was mine to bear because of my sin. And now you declare that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're grateful that we can be in Him, protected and covered in Christ. But our world tonight is filled with broken and hurting and angry and lost people. When they draw their last breath, they are going to stand in judgment against God. Lost. Jesus, you have commissioned us, your church, to go and tell, to share this good news that there is a way to be saved. There is a way to be rescued. And that way is in Jesus and in Jesus alone. What a wonderful name that name is. There is no other name under heaven by which we are saved. One day, you may stand before God and he may say, why should I let you into my heaven forever? The only answer that will be pleasing to him is the name Jesus. Jesus. No other name like the name of Jesus. No other name saves like the name of Jesus. We love you, Jesus. May you be honored. May you be glorified. And it's in your sweet name we pray. Amen.